Patty always makes it fun. Glad to be here. You know, I was uh, traveling some while Jonathan was uh, doing his series, and I love guest preaching, but guest preaching is a little bit like Christmas at somebody else's family. It's good, but it's not the best. It is the best when I'm here, and I'm thankful to be back. And by the way, uh, not only am I excited about being here right now, but not only am I here right now, I'm in 24-7 right now. Because right now, the Westside Campus is meeting their first official service. Got about 200 people in there. Uh, they're about to hear an exciting announcement about a, a, a possible location we'll be sending them to, should we hope, shortly. They're watching the video of my sermon from last night. Everything else is live. And the only thing I ask them to remember is that the camera adds 10 pounds. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise they are having a great service. There's high energy there. So help us get the word out. If you know people on the west side who want to be a part of this new kingdom outpost, they need to start coming now at 9 o'clock and 24-7 to get to know the people that we're sending soon to launch this new exciting work. Uh, I was uh, in Rio Dosa preaching while I was gone. When I left, it was 59 degrees. So thank you so much for praying that it would be warm when I got home. We uh, are continuing now our study of Elijah. Would you open your Bibles, please, to the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, and we'll read there in a moment. I want to start with a story about a man that flags down a cab, and the cabbie says when he gets in, perfect timing, you're just like Frank. And the pastor said, who? And he said, Frank Feldman. He's a guy who did everything right all the time. Like my coming along when you needed a cab, things happen like that to Frank all the time. And the pastor said, oh, come on, everybody's got a few clouds in their life. And the cabbie said, not Frank Feldman. He was a terrific athlete. He could have won the Grand Slam in tennis. He could have played golf on the pro tour. He could sing like an opera baritone. He could dance like a Broadway star. Never met a musical instrument he couldn't play. Not only that, he had a memory like a computer. He remembered everybody's birthday. He was a gourmet cook and he could fix any problem around the house better than a master craftsman. And it doesn't stop there. He was a human GPS. He never got lost. He always knew the quickest way to get anywhere without any traffic jams. Perfect gentleman. Always opened the door for women. Impeccable manners. Complimentary. I'm telling you, nobody could measure up to Frank Feldman. And the pastor was amazed. He said, well, how on earth did you meet this fellow? And the cab driver said, well, I never actually met Frank He died, and I was the lucky guy who married his wife. (laughs) See, the reality is only one perfect man has ever lived. That's why I enjoy the honesty of Scripture. Scripture paints its characters transparently. And so you see the faith of Noah, but you also find out he got drunk. And you read about the courage of David, but you also know he committed adultery. And Peter was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Because nobody can live on the mountaintop constantly. Now that's important because the last time we left Elijah, he was up on the mountaintop. Enjoying the greatest spiritual victory of his career. Calling down fire from heaven to consume the prophets of Baal. And the people of Israel are finally on their knees saying what he has wanted them to say for years. That Yahweh is God. That Yahweh is God. It's the greatest spiritual moment of his life. 
But nobody can stay on the mountaintop forever. There are days when even prophets are down. So in chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. Okay, so Jezebel's back in the palace. And it starts to rain. It starts to rain hard. What do you think she's thinking? She's thinking, yes, the prophets of Baal came through. They carried the day. This will prove once and for all that Baal is God. So imagine then how she's going to react when Ahab shows up and says, well, in the first place, it wasn't Baal that sent the rain. It was Elijah's God, Yahweh. In the second place, your prophets totally blew it and humiliated themselves and you. And in the third place, Elijah had them all killed. And her reaction is equal parts rage and concern. Because she has spent years now trying to promote Baalism as the national religion of Israel. And everything she has spent her life trying to do is about to be lost. She knows she's got to move quick to squelch this revival. And she knows who she has to eliminate. She has got to get Elijah out of the way. So she sends him a message saying... You are a dead man walking. Now, I personally think she's bluffing. There's no way right now you can make a move against Elijah after the whole nation has seen what he's done. But she's trying to intimidate him, to drive him out of the country, to get him off the scene so she can repair the damage before it's too late. Now, what do you think Elijah's going to do after everything we've read about him up to this point? You think he's going to stand up strong. He's going to call her bluff. He's going to send her a message saying, you're the one who better be worried about who's going to be breathing tomorrow. And he's going to go all over the nation calling the people back to Yahweh. Isn't that what you think he's going to do based on his track record to date? And so when I read the words, Elijah was afraid. And ran for his life. I just have to say what? And then I read. That he prayed Lord I've had enough. Take my life. And I have to say. Double what? But then I remember. Sometimes the lowest lows. Come right after the highest highs. Just after you find out you're engaged or just after the baby is born or just after you got that promotion. Because the enemy knows the believer is often most susceptible to a surprise attack right after a big victory. 
See, Elijah has been under a death threat for over three years. And finally the day he's prayed for has happened and Carmel has come and fire has come down and the people are shouting, Yahweh is God. And he's thinking, finally it's over. And what does he find out the next day? It's worse than ever. And he got down. Or let's be honest. He got depressed. So depressed He didn't want to live anymore. Now, I think we need this story. We need the honesty of Scripture here. Because this story exposes a popular myth that a good believer should never feel bad. All you have to do is watch Christian television to see this myth. Have you ever seen a depressed believer on Christian television? Everybody on Christian television looks like they've had way too much sugar. (laughs) And there's just one problem with the impression that we give that a good believer should never feel bad. It isn't biblical. What about Job? Or Moses. Or David. Being discouraged does not mean you are carnal. It means you are normal. It means you are human. There's a lot of people in this room that struggle with with seasons of feeling really down. Some of us have people in our family that struggle with this. Every one of us has been through a season like that at least once. In our lives. And there are some reasons for it. Sometimes the problem is biochemical. God designed your body to produce this uh, thing called serotonin. And sometimes the body doesn't produce enough. And it's no more wrong that you are low in serotonin than it's wrong that your body might be low in insulin. And so if you've had a long season of just feeling down, the first thing I would say to you is go see a doctor. It might be a chemical problem. And sometimes the problem is circumstantial. Because we were not designed by God to live under constant, intense stress. Think about Elijah's life. He's been under a death threat over three years. He's lived alone most of this time. He's just run 18 miles He is mentally and physically exhausted. He's lived under constant pressure. And he broke. It can happen. That's why sometimes if we're going to lift our spirit, we're going to have to be courageous enough to look at our lifestyle and maybe make some radical, intentional changes to get out from under the stress. That has beaten us down. And then sometimes. Depression has a spiritual base. Now please hear I said sometimes. Not every time. But sometimes there's a connection. Like David. When he committed adultery. And then he had 
Bathsheba's husband murdered. And he said in Psalm 51, for the season of about a year, his spirit was vexed. His emotional life was in turmoil. Because sin can do that to your spirit. Hidden sin. It can be anger. It can be bitterness. It can be fear of man. It can have devastating physiological consequences. Because now hear me. Our physicality and our spirituality are connected. That's how God made us. It's why the Hebrews worshiped with their body. It's why when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise up the body, not just the spirit. Because your physicality and your spirituality are connected. And you cannot abuse the body and have it not affect the spirit. You can't abuse the spirit and have it not affect the body. You see, I think Elijah was struggling from false guilt and a sense of failure. And he was down. And listen, it's not a sin to be down. But how you respond when you're down might be. I've seen people who were depressed respond with blaming. Blaming their mate, blaming their kids, blaming their boss, blaming God. I've seen people respond to depression with manipulation. Literally using their depression as a way to get other people to do their agenda. And I've seen people just resign and give up. None of those are the answer. The answer begins with confessing and requesting. It begins with just being honest. I am down. My spirit is down. And then you make a prayer. You pray the prayer that David prayed when he was there. In Psalm 51 verse 10, you pray, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. You're the one who made me, Lord. Only your Holy Spirit can fix my spirit. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. And God will hear that prayer. God is not offended by that prayer because here's something you need to know that will help. God does not get down on us when we are down. One way I know that is because God knows when to answer a prayer and when not. Have you noticed that about God? Think about Elijah. He prayed, Lord, don't send any rain. God didn't send any rain. He said, Lord, raise up this dead boy. And God raised up the dead boy. Lord, send down fire from heaven. And God sent down fire. Lord, send rain back. And God sent rain back. Lord, take my life. God said, nah, I don't think so. Because God knows when not to answer a prayer. Even when Elijah gives up, God refuses to give up on him. So watch how God starts to minister to his depressed servant. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. This is where angel food cake came from. I'm telling you right here. And there was a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. So he got up, and he ate and he drank, and he strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, or Sinai, 
the mountain of God. You see, there's no depth so deep it exceeds the reach of God. Please notice, God did not send His angel to chew out Elijah. Now, I'm not a professional counselor, but I am going to give all of you a counseling tip that I promise you will help your family. You ready? Condemning a depressed person doesn't help. Remember that. It doesn't help. God did not lift up his prophet by putting him down. Instead, he responds to a wrong prayer by renewing a right spirit. Let me show you three things God did. It'll help you. Number one was R&R, rest and refreshment. Did you notice the first thing God did was not give Elijah a lecture, but a meal. The angel did not say, get up and pray. Get up and read your Bible. The angel said, get up and eat. And what did he do after he ate? He took another nap. Listen to me. You can not continue to abuse your body and expect your spirit not to suffer. You cannot do it. You cannot keep up this workaholic pace, eating terrible food, hardly resting, never exercising, and expect your spirit to stay healthy. Now, Jesus was the master spiritual formation director. He knew more about it than anybody. Look what he said in Mark 6 to his disciples. Come apart into a desert place and rest a while. And I heard a preacher say one time about that verse, You will either come apart and rest, or you will come apart. And some of you need to make some radical, intentional Changes to be better stewards of your temple, the body God gave you. You cannot keep doing what you're doing to your body and expect your spirit not to suffer. There's a story the French tell about a rich man in a palace, had a lot of gold. And outside his gate was a cobbler, very poor, that made shoes all day. And he sang. And the songs irritated the rich man. He knew what to do about it. One day he came and gave the cobbler a bag of gold. And at first the man was excited. So he took his gold and he hid it. But then he thought, well, someone maybe saw me hide it. So he went and hid it again. And he thought, well, maybe someone saw that. And he couldn't stop thinking about where to hide his gold and how to protect his gold. And the whole time he was fretting, not sleeping, he was not singing And so he picked up that bag of gold. He went back to the palace and he said to the rich man, I'm giving you back your gold. Give me back my songs. You have to make some choices that you're not going to just mindlessly jump into the current and the pace of a world driven by sordid values and live that way. And here's the thing about God. If you don't slow down on your own, He'll step in. Remember David? He said about the sheep, 
The shepherd makes them lie down. You have to do that sometimes to sheep. They get so restless, they will not rest. And the shepherd takes his hands on their shoulders and he makes them lie down. And God will do that if it's the only way to get you to look up. You've got to be still to hear the voice of God. See, that's the second thing he needed was the voice of God. Let me show you what happens next now, starting in verse 9. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed You know, when I have dealt with depressed people, I've learned this. I've learned this in my own life. Depression is always accompanied by stinking thinking. Now, it might be the result of the depression or it might have been the product of the depression. But always, when you are down, You're not thinking clearly. And so God gave Elijah what he needed, some TLC, tender, loving clarity. Jezebel's threat had somehow caused Elijah to lose his divine perspective and forget all the lessons he had learned by that brook at Kareth, to forget everything God taught him at that widow's house in Zarephath, to forget everything that had happened on top of Mount Carmel. And so he gets to the mountain of God. He goes all the way back to Sinai and he says, Lord, it failed. Everything you'd started with Moses failed. It was a good idea, God, but it hasn't worked. The whole covenant thing, the whole promise, it just didn't work. They're not buying it. I'm the only one left, and I'm about to be dead. Now, I am about to give you young husbands one of the wisest words you'll ever hear. You can't fix feelings. 
Do not do what I did the first year I was married and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. I'm telling you, I'm saving you some serious couch time if you will listen to me. You cannot help the way you feel. But you can decide your thoughts. You can determine where you will focus your mind. And what Elijah needed was a fresh word from God. Not a word he heard years ago. Not a sermon he heard last week. He needed a word from God today. And so God spoke. He said a couple of things. He said, first, Elijah, my kingdom always has a future. The wind and the earthquake and the fire were just God making a statement. I can take Israel out anytime I want. I can judge any nation whenever I want, however I want, wherever I want. I decide who's going to be king here or there. And that includes Jezebel. And my covenant depends on my faithfulness, not anyone else's. Elijah, you lost sight of a bigger picture when you started listening to a smaller ruler. Remember a month or so ago when we had that week where it just rained every day? Don't we wish that would come back? And I I flew somewhere, and I don't remember where, but I hadn't seen the sun in several days. So I'm in the plane, and all of a sudden, the plane broke through the clouds, and the sun was so brilliant, it was so startlingly bright, I had to pull down the shade. And the thought hit me. The sun is always shining. Always. It's just sometimes we forget that because we let clouds rob us of the truth. God's always on the throne. His sovereignty is never challenged. His kingdom always has a future. And he says, and my kingdom, Elijah, always has a place for you. Because Elijah had woefully underestimated the impact of his obedience. He said, Elijah, there are 7,000 in Israel looking to you. Inspired by you. Counting on you. I don't need you up in the stands. I need you dead on the field. Back in the game. Because this game. Is winnable. You see I'll tell you something. Hopelessness is deception. And anytime you feel a spirit. Of hopelessness. It didn't come from the Holy Spirit. The empty tomb is God's final word that hopelessness is a lie. His kingdom always has a future. And there's always something for you to do. Maybe God's trying to challenge some of your thinking today. Some of you brought some stinking thinking to church today. Paul Galanti, six and a half years prisoner of the North Vietnamese, was reflecting on what he's learned since then. And here's what he said. There's no such thing as a bad day if there's a doorknob on the inside of the room. There's no such thing 
That's hopelessness for the believer in God. God's truth is that doorknob leading us to a better and brighter tomorrow. But when prophets are down, there's one more thing they need. Look what God does. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. God gave him some VIP, very important people. When you get depressed, what you often want to do is say, I just need some time to myself. I just need to be by myself. That's probably the worst possible therapy. It leads to self-pity. It leads to self-absorption. And neither of those is going to be good for your spirit. God's remedy is community. Think about how much of Elijah's ministry he has been by himself. And God said, no more. You're not doing my work by yourself ever again. We have been trained well by life and even at church to play what I call the fine game. You come to church, someone says, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. That's the official answer at church, you know. If you're not fine, stay home till you get fine. Then come back and tell us you're fine again. <laughs> And so, we go home carrying the same wound and baggage we brought with us. God says the remedy is not estrangement, it's engagement. I want my people connected to each other, honest with each other, helping each other. Probably the greatest Christian counselor of my generation is a man named Dr. Carl Menninger. Let me just read one sentence he wrote to people who battle depression. He says, lock your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something for him. Streisand saying people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Wrong. People who need people are the only people in the world. Because life is hard. Even Jesus didn't do it alone. We all get down. We all need help getting back up. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I was really pumped about being back with you today after being gone a month. And when I saw the text and I realized that I was going to wind up preaching on depression, my first thought was, oh, Lord, that's not what I want to talk about. I got depressed thinking about it. <laughs> and I'm praying last week, and I felt like the Lord said to me, Rick, you preach that lesson because I'm sending many people there who need to hear it. It happened last night. I was blown away. So many people struggle with feeling down. And the sad thing is, they think this is the place, most of all, 
where you have to hide it. Because good Christians never feel bad. It's a lie. Elijah did not choose to feel down. He did choose to do something about it. And so I want to close by reading a paragraph from a book called Forged by Fire, How God Shapes Those He Loves. It was written by a man named Bob Record. And Bob Record lives in almost constant pain. He suffered a severe back spinal injury. The only relief he can get is living with constant medication and, and having constant bags of ice on his neck. He can't lay down to sleep, so he has to try to sleep in a chair. The pain is relentless. He says not long after his injury, they they rolled him out to a closed-in patio at his house. And it was a real dreary, cloudy, yucky day. And he's just sitting there in pain. And this little bird comes up on his patio and just starts chirping. And he says, if I could have found a gun, I'd have shot that bird. (laughs) But the next day, they take him back out to the patio. This time, it's a sunny, beautiful day. And he thinks it's the same bird comes up to that patio and just starts chirping again. And his first thought was to be angry. But now let me read. And then an amazing truth hit me head on. The bird sang in the cold rain as well as the sunny warmth. His song was not altered by outward circumstances, but it was held constant by an internal condition. And it was as though God quietly said to me, You've got the same choice, Bob. You will either let external circumstances mold your attitude or your attitude will rise above the external circumstances. You choose. That's God's word for you today. It's not wrong to feel down. But what is your next step going to be? Listen to David. Psalm 42. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I'll praise Him again. My Savior and my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged. But I will remember your kindness. You can't help your feelings. But you can choose your thoughts. You can decide to focus on the goodness of God. Let's do that right now. Bow your heads with me. I want you to take a moment now and think about one part of your life that feels hopeless. And every time you go there, your spirit starts to go down. It drains you. What is it? What's that one place right now in your life that just just sinks you when you think about it. Now do something. Pray, Lord, renew a right spirit in me. When my my thoughts go there, let my thoughts turn to you. Father, let your Holy Spirit minister to my spirit. Pray that now.
Father, thank you to be the source of all joy and the source of all comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all be standing. I'm going to invite you to come right now. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ and be baptized, and as you come, we're going to sing a song that reminds us that no matter how dark it seems, we have a God that never gets down or gives up on us. Let's sing.